0: You know how you and I are talking about doing something for the first time as a student or you get to do you get to see one delivery or three deliveries. I mean, the fact of the matter is after the thousandth delivery, whoever it is, they're going to be better at it than they were during the hundredth. Mm. And I feel like this is an issue that kind of gets lost now when we talk about training and we talk about medical education. (laughs)
1: Hi, my name is Jason Joe, a medical student from the University of Toronto, and I'm Dr. David Chu, a family doctor in Toronto, Ontario. And you're listening to What's Up, Up Docs? Docs, a podcast where we share stories about our lives in medicine. Welcome aboard.
0: All right, Jason, welcome back to What's Up Docs. It's been a while since I've seen you.
1: Yes, it's been over a month and a half, I think.
0: Yes, much has happened since I last since we last chatted. I think last time we chatted, you were still doing family medicine, Mm -hmm. right? And you had a couple more weeks of that to go. And then you told us that you're going to be heading off to OB and then a bit of Christmas break. So it's early January now and all of that stuff's happened. So we'll try to do a quick rundown through some of that stuff.
1: Yeah. So rapid fire family medicine, the last two weeks were actually, you know, it keeps getting better and better. Great. Um, And then moving into OB was quite interesting. And then the Christmas break has been well Uh, has been much needed Uh, (laughs) and I was on a cruise starting from Miami going around the Caribbean a little bit and it was my first cruise uh, and had a lot of fun on that as well.
0: All right so now we're ready to get back into the winter. Oh no
1: no. So let's start talking
0: a little bit about obstetrics Mm -hmm. which is this OB thing that we keep talking about. I remember as a student like really kind of dreading doing obstetrics as a rotation for various reasons because I think as a guy like obstetrics is like this big black box. Like you're not, you don't, you've read the textbook a bit. You kind of understand the concepts of like how a baby is born, but you've never really seen anything, any of these things like up close personal. Right. And now suddenly you have to do this rotation where you're going to be catching babies or delivering babies and stuff. Uh And to me, like this was like, this is like a big step because up until then I had only done like these basic rotations in the hospital, which are pretty straightforward. Like, But delivering a baby is like its own little thing. So I remember being pretty
1: scared by that experience. I don't know what it's been like for you. I think OB definitely was something that I went in with a lot of excitement and a lot of anxiety for almost all the reasons that you've described above. I think as a guy, um, even throughout pre-clerkship, like there have been experiences where You know it's really it kind of feels uncomfortable and and obviously we're there to learn and patient care comes first and we've been asked to step out of the room like quite often when it comes to a little bit more sensitive exams so i was a little bit worried about what kind of like clinical experience i would be getting in that regard but overall, I would say it has been a really great learning experience. Uh, it's just that the hours are, are quite long and something that's a very drastic transition from family medicine. And it's actually been like even like very, very draining at the end of the day. All right. I mean, we talked about your hours being draining like when you were doing like uh-huh.
0: a morning from like 9 to 12 a few months ago. What, what's your actual OB like
1: hours like? So for us, so I'm doing my rotation at Sunnybrook. So we have seminars usually every morning with like teaching okay. at seven in the morning, right? But to get to Sunnybrook, you got to take the shuttle. So I usually get up around like 5.40 <laughs> and um, then I get home around like five or six. So it's mostly like 12, 13 hour days. And I think what's very interesting because like your body, you know what I mean? Like let's say if you get up at 8 a.m., right? You eat breakfast and lunchtime around noon, right? But then right. if you get up at five in the morning, and it's like when it's like 10 a.m., you're like hungry all of a sudden. And you're like, wait, none of the food court things are even open yet because that's not a human <laughs> lunchtime. And you're like, oh, you get home at 5 or 6. That's not too bad, right? Right. But usually I feel like, you know, put that in perspective. If you get up at 8 in the morning, that's almost like 8 or 9 p.m. It's it's already quite late based on your body <laughs> clock. And so it uh, it's really hard to do anything after right. work, I would say. So part of the
0: problem is you're not living very close to this hospital. So you have to commute quite far, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, but the commute is not that bad. It's just the shuttle comes at specific times, okay, and so you gotta you gotta make the time, right? So, <laughs> so
0: what about on call? Do you have you done any nights
1: on call? Yeah, so I've had three on call shifts. Yeah, um, they've they've all. S- <laughs> So, on, so, I mean, on call, you're, you're there the whole night after being there, there the whole day. Right. I mean, it's a very interesting experience. And, um, and you're
0: on call, like, through the whole night. You don't go home at a certain hour.
1: No, no, no. You're, you're there the whole time. Okay. Um, you get your own little call room, so you can kind of go back there and, and nap if you have time. But right. the three times I was on call, the first night didn't sleep any. And the other two maybe slept two hours in total. Right. Yeah.
0: Oh, we should talk more about this on call things. This is, I think, a lot of people who have never been on call mm-hmm. wonder what it's like for a student, especially to like be on call and do stuff in the middle of the night. Like, how how's you, what's your functioning level like, like at three a.m.
1: Well, it's it's interesting because if you're busy, it's not too bad. Like, if you're assisting in a C-section mm-hmm. and you're all scrubbed in, like. And there's something uh, like happening in front of you. Right. I found that a lot easier to kind of like make the time pass by right. because you're actively doing something, right? What
0: What are you doing that's so active? Because I remember as a student, if I scrubbed in, I'd just be standing in the corner. And oh. in the wee hours, it's even harder to stand in the corner.
1: <laughs> well, if you're scrubbed in, like you know, we hold like like the Balfour, which kind of like protects the bladder from right. any kind of injury, so and you're holding this thing still for like thirty minutes. Yeah, and in then the it wee depends. Hours. <laughs> And it also depends on like what you want to do. Like, you know, sometimes um, you can ask some questions and sometimes you, I mean, it, it it really depends on how much you know of the surgery as well. Right. And sometimes you're like, oh yeah, pass me the scissor. I'm going to cut the, you know, cut the suture. And like, that's, I mean, that's still okay. Right. I think it's, it's like doing that and being sta- like standing up and having that, you know, in the operating room, it's super bright light. So right. no windows. I mean, it could be four in the morning or it could be four in the afternoon. Like you wouldn't know what time it is right, in the operating right. room. Right. But yeah, otherwise on call it it does get quite draining. Mm-hmm. What about eating? Like how like you mentioned being hungry throughout the
0: day, and now mm. you you hit the you're on call like five or six o'clock. You get dinner, or do you ever miss dinner? Like like the food court closes at some point in the hospital. Like I remember all these things happening when we
1: were. So we're actually pretty lucky, as in the staff actually buys us dinner. Okay. So the staff is they they're really really nice, and um you know it's actually a pretty good dinner usually like you know a bento box of sushi or whatever it is and we actually have a really nice dinner before
0: i think that's actually one of the traditions because i remember the staff doing that when we were on ob back in the day also Mm. and it was a nice thing except there was this one staff that always bought swiss chalet so anytime you were on call with anyone else you could be getting sushi or like gourmet burgers or whatever and there was this one dude who would be like he knows who he is. It would be like Swiss chalet. I'm in the mood for Swiss chalet. And all of us <laughs> residents and close would be like, oh man, like it's like,
1: it's $10 meal. <laughs> mm, that's fair. I mean, since we're talking about you know the overall experience of OB, I'll just like generally run down some of the things that surprised me in a really positive sure. way and some of the challenges that I faced. Okay. I was really surprised about how interesting OB was um, and how much variety that is actually within the specialty. Also... Like, the teachers at Sunnybrook have been really, really, really great. Mm -hmm. Like, the seminars in the morning, like, really help us get up to date with the material. And since we're all taking the shuttle and like you really bond with like we have eight people there together as clerks and so we kind of like bonded a lot more (laughs) and it versus like family medicine was just literally me at the family medicine office um this really felt like we had a lot of that camaraderie going on
0: right so the commute is actually a key thing
1: yeah i mean and we're all you know we also we all in the same seminar every single morning we all see each other it's it's really nice to have a cohort of people i think some of the challenges obviously has been the hours and I also think for me, one of the big challenges in OB was like really trying to get experiential experiential learning. Mm-hmm. I find that because you're in a high risk environment, people can't really depend on you to do things, right? Right. And so because you're new. Exactly. So a lot of times, I find that you know residents um, are quite hands on, so they would take a lot of the opportunities, and so it's really hard for. Us sometimes to really get the opportunity to to do things and and to feel like useful in a team mm-hmm. versus I found in family medicine I was a lot more independent and I felt like the work I was doing was really kind of impacting certain things versus sometimes in OB it kind of feels like whether I'm there or whether I'm not it it doesn't make a huge difference right um, and I and I I mean that's probably a good thing like you don't want to depend on a fresh third year <laughs> medical student for the delivery of life right right um, but it kind of feels like you're not contributing if that makes sense
0: absolutely that happens in a lot of fields of medicine especially the more technical ones like a surgery rotation like as a student or a clerk you're not going to be doing a lot and you really need to put in more time and then your opportunities start to come up like as a resident or as a fellow right actually this kind of leads into one of the stories i was going to tell when i was doing ob as a med student at queen's because of this issue, like, they had this issue in Kingston where there was, like, there's not enough deliveries happening in Kingston. And so they wanted to outsource the teaching of OB to, like, the smaller communities. So for our obstetrics rotation, some of us got matched to another hospital in Peterborough, which, for people who don't know, is, like, a small town that's probably about an hour east of Toronto, and it's sort of between Toronto and Kingston. So me and another student had to go live in this town for, like, a month you end up at like this little community-based hospital, which is a little bit different from what you're describing because you're in like a big academic hospital. They're having seminars every day. There's med students everywhere. Like you're bonding and stuff. And we got shuttled out, the two of us, (laughs) to this little town. And I think we talked a bit about this before, like at various points in my training because I went to Queens at that time, they did a lot of this like community-based teaching. So you're in small town Canada and then they put you up in like a nice little apartment. Right, so me and this other guy from my class, who I didn't know that well at the time, we're living in this apartment, and the two of us are like the only two medical students in the entire hospital. And then what would happen is, one of us would be on call every day, right? So it's either he's on call overnight or it's me, right? And we would just kind of rotate. But a lot of times, because it's such a small community, just because you're on call doesn't mean that anything would happen. So we'd be in the we we would be in, and then you'd be waiting for babies to be born. But then by some luck. Like, there just would be no babies being born. Like, like we were there probably for two or three weeks, I think, in total. And I think I saw one delivery, and he saw none. So we came out of this rotation. <laughs> we're like, we haven't
1: seen anything. We don't know anything, right? Wait, so what were you doing the whole time then, like, during the day? Like, did you just well, wait?
0: a lot of times, you know how, like, on the obstetrics ward, like, a lot of people who are close to delivering a baby... Mm they come in to be checked. So we'd be doing all these checks, right? Like, oh yeah, you're not that close. Please go home again, right? And then invariably, like, I guess maybe maybe the two of us weren't on call every single night, but just by chance, the nights that we were actually on, almost nothing happened. So literally I saw almost nothing, except near the end I saw one delivery. We went back to Kingston And then (laughs) the school is like, okay, we need an evaluation for you guys. And they hadn't sent us like this material. Like usually like, you know, when you need to do an eval, you get like a form before the rotation starts. And then you're supposed to bring it to your preceptor at the end and they check it off to make sure you were there. The school never gave us this form. So then we came, we went back to Kingston a few weeks later. And then the school's like, okay, you guys need to hand in some evals. And we're like, well, you never gave us anything. So it's like, okay, we're going to give you the sheets. My classmate is like, don't worry, I'll take care of it. He starts emailing the sheets to the preceptors in Peterborough, who are like, we don't know you guys. Like, who are you? Because <laughs> we had never really done anything. So none of them knew us. Because we'd basically kind of been kind of like ghosts on the ward because we were involved in so little healthcare. at oh that point. Oh, my goodness. So he, he's like, dude, like you need to send me like a photo, like a little passport photo. I'm going to send one of me and we're going to email our photo to these preceptors so that they could do this eval. So we passed the rotation because we were physically there. Like we weren't like cheating or anything, but just nothing happened, Mm. right? So then to supplement this at the end, our school actually had us all do some rotations in like Kingston General Hospital, which was a little better. Like there's a lot of stuff actually happens there. Like people are getting delivered like every night. So I remember doing a, f- seeing a few deliveries, helping out at a few deliveries, and that was my obstetrics experience. It was bizarre, like, like it was this weird like small town Canada. This happens repeatedly throughout like my medical school experience. Yeah, I was just gonna
1: say, in family medicine, it seems like you really don't jive with like small <laughs> small towns.
0: <laughs> it's not that I don't jive. That town is. I mean, it's just these small hospitals, right? Like, you know how you mentioned that you have like a teaching seminar in the morning? Mm. These community-based hospitals don't do that much teaching, right? So you're just hanging out in the wards.
1: So you just shadowed for like three Yeah, weeks. you're not doing anything. <laughs> oh. And there isn't even much
0: shadowing because babies aren't actually getting delivered. So what
1: do those doctors do when the babies aren't being delivered?
0: They're in and out of the hospital, right? They don't have to stay there, Oh. right? So they can go home and they can come in. So it was a very, it, it was a stressful learning experience because... First I was I had all this like anxiety like I don't really understand how to deliver a baby. I've kind of read about it in the book and it didn't really make sense. I've never even seen it before, so I have no context for it. So I'm waiting for these deliveries to happen and then every day that no delivery happens, my anxiety level gets higher and higher and higher about the whole thing. It was kind of terrible actually.
1: Do you feel like it, it really impacted like your future career? You feel like at the time it was stressful and you know, like, with time everything is is fine.
0: Well, it didn't impact my career if you're asking about whether I actually ever considered becoming an obstetrician like Uh that was never on the radar so I was going into the rotation just in survival mode Mm -hmm. anyway and
1: I, I mean, I feel like I feel pretty lucky being at, <laughs> at Sunnybrook. We see, we see a lot of deliveries and a lot of C-sections and right. a lot of times it's, it's really cool too, cause we have a lot of high risk patients that come in with like, mm-hmm. you know, twins and triplets and things like right. that. And so, you know, I remember my first week or two, like I helped out with a C-section with twins and then one of my classmates were helping out with a uh, triplet and stuff like that. And that's, you know, that's really amazing opportunities that you really right. don't get to see everywhere
0: absolutely i remember like prior to medical school probably my only real experience with like the birth process Mm -hmm. was in grade nine phys ed at high in high school that they they, they show you i don't know did you have this experience where they show you the birth video
1: i feel like i missed it somehow (laughs) i i I don't know like i no they didn't show like i went
0: to an all guys catholic school and i don't know why this is actually on the (laughs) curriculum but let's just show a bunch of 14 year olds a baby being born and the whole class is like oh like they're all we're all grossed out by it and that was it like there's no real explanation of what this is all about or Mm. what the process is so it's it's a very eye-opening thing to see firsthand and it's a very valuable experience like it's one of these life experiences that later even if you do nothing with medicine and you're not a doctor someday you can look back and be like okay i've seen babies being born and i've helped out with that it's kind of cool do you get to have you checked? Like you know how when when expecting moms come into the hospital and they're in labor and you're supposed to figure out how dilated the cervix is mm-hmm. and how big it is, mm-hmm. like how open it's gotten. And you know on TV it's like, oh, cervix now three centimeters, five centimeters, and they're counting it. Right. Like, do you get to examine that? And are you getting good at that?
1: So I think I did that once out of my four <laughs> weeks, and this was like I think this patient was under an epidural because a lot of times if they're in triage, like because you know the they internal exams, yeah, are like quite uncomfortable, and so right. and so when they're under an epidural, like sometimes you would examine them, mm-hmm. um. But I had no idea what was going on.
0: <laughs> Me too. I I remember in that Peterborough rotation, like at one point a patient came in, and the doctor was like, "Okay, check the cervix. How open is it?" And I'm put my hand in. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I'm just gonna make up a number, like three centimeters. <laughs> like I don't know. I don't know, right? Right. And you really just need. You need someone to show you and you need to...
1: Th- I mean, it's 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 difficult, but at the same time, like, you, you want to also consider, like, the patient, right? Right. So.
0: Actually, it gets into this other topic.
1: I remember when I was
0: interviewing for medical school, this is, like, in 2001, there was, like, this scandal. Like, a lot of women, when they're, like, in for surgery or they're unconscious, that doctors would let med students examine them Mm. right so they kind of have this vague sense of consent which is like well you've come into a teaching hospital for a procedure so we're not going to explain to you every single thing that's going to happen and at some point people may examine you right they don't really lay this out concretely But there's this whole idea like where you just mentioned, right? Like as a student, sometimes it is a learning experience for us as students. And if you never get to practice it, you're not going to get good at it, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when the patient shows up, they're not telling the patient before they put them under anesthesia that, you know, a medical student who you've never met might come into the room and we will ask them to do a pelvic exam, right? Mm -hmm. And it's such a sensitive exam that this became a thing. Like on interview day, it had just appeared in the newspaper. And so I remember at my Queen's interview, I was like, well, on the subject of exams, they're like, no, 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 don't talk about this. Every student that's interviewed today has talked about this topic, right? (laughs) So it's something that we were aware of and I didn't think about it too much. And I remember at one point, I think I was actually a resident. And then at some point, Like, you know, late night, you're on call, you're helping out and the staff's like, okay, put your hand in and just examine. And I did it. And I'm like, wait a minute. I just did it. I wasn't supposed to do this. Like, this was one of these things that like, like that we had all discussed in advance that this isn't cool. Right. Mm -hmm. But then when you're in the thick of learning, you don't notice it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think Sunnybrook has been really, really good about that. Mm -hmm. I think one of the rules that you, you're not supposed to go into a room like if a patient's in labor, if you haven't met them beforehand. Right. So, and that's the same for like, a, like an operation, like a C-section. Um. So at the start of like any on-call shift or any, like when I'm on labor and delivery, like I would go in the morning or in the afternoon, I would introduce to myself to all the patients that are... Mm about to kind of deliver tell them that how i'm involved with the team and then right that someone is going to come in and assist right? right there's some context for you being there absolutely so i mean if mo like i'm sure most if not all the time like if you haven't met the patient beforehand like you wouldn't go in mm-hmm. um so i think it's gone better so another thing that i found ob quite different to family medicine was the focus of each specialty. I found in family medicine, a lot of times you got time to get to know the person and you really focus on the more human aspects of like how the disease or how their life is going, right? Mm -hmm. Versus OB was very fast interactions. And, you know, I think it suits different personalities. I think it was just a little bit strange towards me because I like the human part a little bit more. So let me give an example. When people think about delivering a child, it sounds like, you know, the most exciting, the most emotional time of their lives. Right. Mm -hmm. But because of, you know, different pressures on the ward and because you have a lot of things to do, I find that, you know, sometimes a patient gets admitted, they're in the room maybe for 12 or 20 hours and the nurse is with them all the time. Right. Right. But we only see them maybe like 10 minutes of (laughs) those 20 hours because we go in and we check and then we're there for the last five or ten minutes of the actual delivery, right? And we're like, "Congratulations!" And then the mom is happy, the dad's happy, the nurse is happy, the family's happy, and it it just feels very numbing because here here's such an awesome emotional thing, and then I'm in there for five minutes, and then I'm out. Like I don't really have time to process it. It it just it was very strange. I just didn't feel like I was a part of it. Yes, it's not about you. It, it, you're right. <laughs> it, it, it it's it's not about you, right? But I, right. I think. It just felt really weird to me.
0: I think I hear what you're
1: saying. I don't
0: think this is specific to OB, though. A lot of kinds of medicine are like that, right? Like a lot of the surgical specialties, a lot of the hospital-type stuff— where, like, a patient comes in for a specific procedure to be done, mm-hmm. and the doctor's job is to look after them just before the procedure, during the procedure, and right after, and then it's finished, right? So, it's such a I, what you're saying is it's just short interaction, mm-hmm. right? I think family medicine, because that's what I do, I can speak to it, is because you're getting to know these people over years. Mm-hmm. Even though each interaction is just for like 10, 15 minutes, added up over time, you feel like you've known these people forever. And on OB, you really just know them for that day or a few hours right? I remember when we had our baby after the second baby, like we really liked our obstetrician and she's like, well, if you ever have another baby, I'll see you again. (laughs) But that's it. Like otherwise your relationship with them has ended at Mm -hmm. that point. And that can be good sometimes as a doctor, like you don't need all of these difficult relationships going on forever, but it can be frustrating. It it might be telling you that you're like a people person and you like that part of it.
1: Yeah. Because I, I find myself like thinking about, oh, like you know, how they're doing. Like, I, I wish I could follow up and, and see them again and see how what's going on in their lives. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think,
0: which is why we're doing this show, I guess, so we uh, can yeah. talk about each other's <laughs> lives all the time.
1: <laughs> exactly. No, for sure.
0: So I think to change gears a little bit, I was thinking that as part, because some of these episodes that we've done lately, we've talked a lot about sort of like the clerkship journey, right? Mm-hmm. We're keeping a journal of all the rotations you're going through. And we've kind of, it's a bit of different flavor of what we've talked about relative to the first few episodes, where we kind of dove into some like issues specific to like medicine and medical training. So I thought we could do a little bit of that too. Mm -hmm. Um, And since we've been on the subject of like this experience, you know, like how do you pick up experience while you're on the OB ward? it, It made me think recently about like just this whole idea of experience in general. I've been working for almost 14 years now, I think. I realized recently that we're always getting more and more experience and that there's no real replacement for collecting these experiences. You know, like my parents, when they were looking for a doctor, they'd be like, you know, how old is the doctor? Like, that's a thing. Like, do you want a really young doctor or do you want a middle-aged doctor or a super old doctor, right? Because mm-hmm. they're not all the same. As I've gotten older, I've kind of really started to appreciate that, that there's no substitute for putting in time. And sure, some of these older doctors are practicing, you know, medicine from 40 years ago but a lot of them aren't the, the accumulated wisdom that they have over time is something you can't replace like you know how you and i are talking about doing something for the first time right. as a student or you get to do you get to see one delivery or three deliveries i mean the fact of the matter is after the thousandth delivery whoever it is they're going to be better at it than they were during the hundredth and right. over the ten thousandth they will be better than the thousandth one mm-hmm. and i feel like this is an issue that kind of gets lost now when we talk about training and we talk about medical education, because there's this whole idea now, once you have your credential and you've worked a bit, you're considered fully trained, right? And we're sort of taught that, you know, a middle-aged doctor is not that much different from a well-trained young doctor, right? Mm -hmm. That there's probably some slight differences, but we we're taught that to think that everyone's sort of the same and that every doctor you go to is going to give you pretty much the same care. But I don't actually think that's the truth. My thing as a, as an adult now, and I guess is, I feel like in medicine, there's this movement towards people working less. So a lot of people, even during training are like, you know, I don't want to see patients five days a week. I want to do business and medicine, or I want to do admin and podcast medicine, <laughs> or podcasts and medicine, right? Or I want to go into academia. So I'll be doing lectures and research, and then I'll see patients once a week. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing is, as we start to like, like we start to spread out our responsibilities into all these different realms, you do gain things, right? Like you do all these other things on the side and you get better at those things. But the medicine part suffers, right? There is a part of it that I feel like the olden days where the doctor worked 60 hours a week and wasn't home to see his family, albeit that's not healthy for them over time because they saw so many patients that their skill level got higher and higher and higher. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're kind of losing
1: that now. Do you have an example of of perhaps like something specifically that you're thinking about
0: recently like in our office i was chatting with one of the doctors who's older and she's worked for a long time and we you know sometimes you work as an as when you're when you're actually working in a clinic you don't always like discuss cases with the doctors that work with you right you have to over time develop a pretty good relationship with them otherwise you usually leave the other doctors alone most doctors are you know we've got our degrees we don't really like being told what to do And so you don't really get to peek under the hood of how they're practicing and Mm -hmm. see what they're actually doing. And like this particular doctor in my office, I was like blown away by how much more knowledge she had than I did, right? <laughs> About certain topics, right? And it's, it's partly because she's just seen so much stuff over mm-hmm. time. And also because she keeps herself up to date and, and everything. And we just came away from this like it, we, we were actually having like a teaching session. We were going over some cases and stuff. And we were blown away that like her knowledge level is so high. But then I feel like there's no real way to get there except to put in that time, right? right? She's seen these versions of these cases over years and years and years and learn how to adapt and come up with the answers to those things. Whereas a lot of us, when we start out, especially our practices tend to be younger. Like most of my patients are like, you know, young families, right? And as those people age and you age with them, they start to get like middle aged people problems and then they start to get older people problems. Right. Right. So the practice becomes more and more difficult, but your skill level of dealing with it also goes up. Mm-hmm. Right. So you really do learn to appreciate that Or I've learned to sort of appreciate that from seeing it. It worries me because when I see you guys and the students, everyone's like, oh, I want to do I want to work three days a week. I want to do something else on the side. But I just wonder if the actual medicine sort of gets lost because i feel like we have this idea that when you finish your training then you're ready to work actually when you're ready to work that's really when your real training is beginning right right like you
1: have to put in more and more time i mean it's really interesting that you bring this topic up i mean one of the books that i'm just starting to read is called how Old doctors think right mm-hmm. and i think in the very beginning it, it talked about it talked about how you know each generation of older doctors feel that the new generation is not getting trained enough, right? Like, <laughs> right. I mean, I'm sure like people in the 40s and 50s when, you know, they were in one and two call or like, um and they're in the hospital like right. 24 hours a day and, you know, they did everything, right? They're like, wow, like residents in the 60s or 70s, like they're not doing it. And then right. each successive generation is, is different, right? Right. But I, I wonder though, like, in terms of the amount of skills that you develop with the new technology and the way that we practice medicine versus the olden days, perhaps you needed that raw experience for it. Mm -hmm. But these days with supplements of like very easy, like accessible um, information about like checking with colleagues about like the internet or or whatever it is, whether those things would end up helping build a a competent practice, even if you're working three to four days a week. Right. And at the end of the day, you can also make the argument that it's it'd be great if a doctor didn't really know what they were doing or they come across a topic they didn't really know then they would search it up or they would ask for advice right Mm -hmm. but then you also don't know what you don't know and so if you don't have the experience sometimes you really just can't do anything about it right and so maybe there is no substitute for experience but perhaps the experience that we're looking at is gradually changing with the times right
0: I mean, because medicine is a fast changing thing, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of this a lot of the techniques or skills that were valid two decades ago aren't valid anymore. Right. So it does behoove all of us that we have to keep learning all the time. And I think that speaks to what you're saying. Like how what are the ways that you can continue to learn even twenty years after medical school ends?
1: And I feel like if you're working part time, you'll have to try even harder. But do you feel like there are certain things where you know, let's say you measure your blood pressure like between the hundredth and the thousandth time, like perhaps it doesn't make that much of a difference, right? Yes. And maybe if you get that extra hour of sleep in the morning, that's <laughs> gonna make a difference for you right or you know, the, the, like is there any specific skills you're thinking about where you feel like the repeatedness is so important that it, you know, like you really just gotta get that experience. It's hard
0: to say, right? it because it has to do with this idea of mastery mm-hmm. and like, that there's different levels of of reaching different levels of understanding of stuff and that there's this extremely high level that's hard to get to, that's mastery level, but that to get there, you have to put in exponentially more work, right? Where most of us probably can get to competent level, mm-hmm. right, fairly easily, and then slightly above average is a little bit more difficult to get to. But that last level probably is just... Put a lot of time into get a very very small
1: difference. Yeah. So then my question is like, is it worth it? Yeah. Like if if you're saying with like a like a family doctor, right? Mm. Like what is what is your definition of mastery? Like I feel like if you're well, if you're like a top notch, let's say like fighter pilot, right? Like you need a you need to master certain things. But if you're flying a commercial jet, I'm not not saying you know. Right. It's like do you need all those extra skills to be a master? Well, that that's a good way of framing the question
0: because probably most of the time the commercial jet is fine. Mm -hmm. Right. And probably you could go through your whole career flying the commercial jet and be happy and deal with most of the issues that a commercial pilot needs to deal with without having too many problems. Like if we're just speaking, you know, kind of generally as a family doctor, right? Like the cough and colds come in, the ear infections come in, you know how to handle this. Ninety nine percent of the time you're fine. Mm -hmm. And then there'll be that one percent of the time where something is a little bit out of your comfort zone. And because you haven't experienced it enough times, you're just a little bit less sure of how to handle it. You probably could still handle it right and accomplish the basic but maybe you could get a little bit better at it right i think what we're getting to is what's the end goal like are we maybe we don't need to master everything right but i do feel like that if all of us as a collective choose not to put in that time then that something gets lost Mm -hmm. right like that
1: highest level that does exist nobody is doing it i mean on top of my mind i want to ask you as well You know, what do you think is like the difference between uh, like a new family doctor, someone who's been practicing like yourself for 14, you know, Mm -hmm. years, and someone who's towards the end of their career? Because I find maybe as a patient, I prefer someone maybe mid-career because like they pay enough attention to you because you know they're they're more attentive in that way Mm -hmm. and they have the experience versus i think a new doctor sometimes you know if anyone's ever gone to see a student for example like we spend a lot of time with (laughs) you right like we ask everything like We spend an hour with you versus if you go to someone who's like, you know, been in practice 40 years, they'll spend like five or 10 minutes sometimes, right? Because they know what to ask and what to do. Right. You know, what's the trade-off between like that extra effort that someone puts in versus the experience? Well, my thing is I feel
0: like when we're fresh coming out, we're all kind of rote, right? Like we kind of know the rules of what we're supposed to ask. We kind of know what we're supposed to look for, but we don't really have the life experience part of it yet or even the medical experience part of seeing what actually happens when this illness gets a little bit worse. I think a good example of this actually for as a family doctor is like when I first graduated, I was always getting asked, you know, with the new babies, like the parents would come in and be like, my baby's doing this, and is that normal, right? And they would be little things like they're spitting up after every meal, right? Or the baby shakes a little bit from time to time. And I had been trained that the answer to this question is, that's normal, it's normal for babies to spit up, they'll spit up up until six months old until the sphincter of the stomach closes a little bit or something. And I could give the answer because I learned it in a book and you may as a listener believe my answer or not, right? But then I had kids of my own and I watched my kids do this every day, right? I watched them shake, I watched them vomit. When the question came up later, I could give the same answer but with more authority because I've seen it now, right? I've been through this, you're a parent, I'm a parent, we're in this together. It's a different conversation. And I feel like that's part of the life experience part, right? Like if I go to see a young doctor about basic stuff, it's fine. But if I want to talk about dying with them and they've never really seen it or they haven't gone through it with their
1: parents or whatever, then the answers won't be the same. I totally agree. And I think you know this is especially relevant sometimes like when we talk about ops right sometimes if i'm giving advice on <laughs> like contraception or i'm giving advice on you know someone might who has like you know painful periods or heavy right. periods it, or or even about breastfeeding right like right. i like i like i barely know the textbook answer it's <laughs> it's very difficult to to sound convincing right. right um like you know without the medical experience nor like any personal experience right, right? and so which is kind of crazy
0: because you think about 30 years ago almost all obstetricians were men. Yeah. Like now it's become like a female dominated field and I think probably for the better, but it's crazy to think that like the people decades before us were all dudes equally befuddled but just acting like they knew the answer to everything. Yeah.
1: I mean it's <laughs> it's yeah.
0: <laughs> I think my bottom line of that whole thing about experience is I think as a teacher or someone who's got students is there's no substitute for putting in time for stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's true for like, you know, your medical career. That's true for doing a podcast. Like we've gotten a little bit better at it. <laughs> I hope time. so. I hope <laughs> right? so. Yeah. So like I think that's just the thing. Like there's no substitute for putting in time. And sometimes medical training sucks because the t- the hours are long and it can feel pointless. But all that time does add up to something.
1: Mm. Right. Even if you can't feel it at the moment you're going through it. I feel like sometimes as a student, you don't see the value of that time, Mm -hmm. especially when you're in more of like a shadowing kind of role. Like, I I don't know. Like, do you feel like that two or three weeks when you're in Peterborough, like that time you spent like really like versus let's say you were comfortable at home studying by yourself or you feel like that, like really impersonal experience? like
0: Shadowing is useless. Okay. Right. As a thing, like. And that's my own personal thing is that, like, if you have a student and you want them to learn something, then you need to have them physically do that thing with their hands. Whether it's interview a patient on their own or do an exam, then they will remember it because
1: you're just throwing th- numbers and words at them. And none of it sticks. No, I, I totally agree. And sometimes it's like one of the biggest challenges in, in medical training sometimes is, is if you're in a very big academic center and... There's a lot of residents and fellows, and when you're, you know, at the bottom of the totem pole, uh, there is a lot of shadowing. Mm-hmm. You know, rightfully so, because some of the cases that come in are are really, really complicated right. that they get referred from right. all over the country for. Right? right. But that also kind of takes a little away from the learning experience, depending on the type of right. learner you are. Right. And sometimes you do have to get thrown in with these complicated ones and sink or swim with it. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And even if you you vomit th- that's what the teacher's supposed to be there for to
1: bail you out in that situation
0: but you probably learn more from that than yeah. being handheld through easy stuff all the time
1: yeah i got you know two weeks left of uh, ob and then moving on to pediatrics so it's it's quite good in terms of like the order of things and right we'll chat then. okay sounds good see you in a month see you in a month